go along with what we feel, which could be just chemicals in our bodies, or along with the flow of what's happening around us. I know, I know from my own life and my own heart, I'm sure it's the same with you, that I find myself buoyed by happy things and sort of depressed by sad things. And many times they're really trivial things that aren't really very important. And yet my whole mood changes as a result of those kind of things. Um, but God wants us to be anchored to the truth so that even when circumstantially things seem to be going in a bad direction, God's word holds us up. And even when things seem to be, you know, June is busting out all over, we are anchored to having a realistic view of our lives. Um, now, I would suggest that because um, I'm, that many of us are sort of more prone to optimism and, more, or, and some more prone to pessimism. So it's, it's a, we have a, maybe it's partly our background, maybe it's partly genetic, but we have a disposition that leans us, many of us, in one direction or another, and it's important that we recognize that and that we use the tool of God's word to help us constantly to correct the way that we're feeling about the future so that it conforms to the word of God. Um, for instance, pessimists tend to pride themselves in being realistic, don't they? If you ever ask a pessimist, you know, confront them about their pessimist, they'll say, I'm just being realistic. And optimists tend to identify their optimism with faith, if they're believers. And they look down on the pessimist because they have a positive and hopeful outlook on life. But each one can be vulnerable to a certain kind of sin. So basically, what I'm doing here this morning is I'm going to lay out this principle, which I'm more than half done already, and then I'm going to ask us about how this applies. So, uh, I would suggest also that most optimism and most pessimism is sinful. Because it's just natural. It's based on what is in us. And we're sinners. Just like most of the rest of what we do and think is sinful. Because we're sinners. Generally, people adopt the least painful approach to life that they can without even doing it consciously that's what we choose to have a view of the future that's the least painful one man finds it too painful to keep hoping for good things and having his hopes dashed so he prefers to have a pessimistic view of the future because it's less painful Another person finds it too painful to look at life from a pessimistic perspective. 
So he becomes an optimist. But they're both just doing what is least painful. Not what's based on the truth. God doesn't want us making our judgments based on what we feel like or what's happening around us. He wants us to base our judgments on his truth. Now, what I would like to do in light of this is try to distinguish between holy optimism and unholy optimism and between unholy pessimism and holy pessimism. So, together, uh, I'd like to think think about this. First of all, what is holy optimism? What is it like when we have an optimistic attitude that is actually godly, virtuous, and um, um, holy. And I'll start with that one because it's the easiest one to see in the Bible. Um, Because Christians have every reason to be hopeful, optimistic, expectant people. So, let's talk about, let's just brainstorm a little bit. What What does it look like? when we have a holy optimism in our view of the future. That's right. So it's based, holy optimism is based on eternity and the promises of God. The things that God wants. You mean you want to be optimistic about that doing that is going to be blessed even though you feel like you don't want to do it. Right. And we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Okay, so so um, what he's talking about is an optimism that maybe even goes against what we would prefer, but we feel like God's telling us to do something. And this is very through right now with regard to getting our house ready for the market. I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to move, but I become convinced that this is what God wants us to do. And so I have to fight this very battle, the battle of being optimistic, of reminding myself that God wouldn't be leading us to do this if it wasn't a good thing. And that it, it, is, it is very easy for me to feel like this is a bad thing. But that's not. That's not right. Even when you're taking mission trips or ministries. Yep. And that's right, because he proves himself. And then you go, it was, I can see it was the right thing to do. I'm so glad I did it. And, uh, and I'm so glad I didn't listen to my own feelings in the thing. Right. Right. So it's not just when you're going against what you uh, would like to do. But it's also when circumstances are going in a way that isn't what you would think would be best. But we have to believe that it's best and be optimistic about where this is leading because everything in us wants to be pessimistic. It looks like the sky is falling, but if God is in it, then you know good's going to come out. Right. Very good. Yeah, there are times when, when it's just so easy to be optimistic. 
you know? I think of Jason, you know, and how long he's, he's longed to have someone that, to love, you know? And, and right now, from all I know, he's in the middle of it, and it's like, how can you not be happy and optimistic? But the fact is that sometimes tragedy hits, and we have to be able to be optimistic and know that God allowed that to happen too, even when circumstances don't lift us up. Okay, very good. Anything else that anyone would like to add to all that? Okay, then let's move on to unholy optimism. Unholy optimism. What would that look like? Sarah. Okay, health and wealth gospel, prosperity gospel, where uh, we we uh, believe that God wants everything to be uh, to prosper in every area, and even in earthly ways, it's not just in eternal ways. So we know that God's we know you know that God's going to work out everything for good, but the the prosperity gospel says he's that he has he's going to work out everything for earthly good. Not just for heavenly good. And uh, that's a big difference. So, um, okay, that's one example. Becky. Right, that everything's going to be okay. That he's going to be healed, that he's going to live, he's not going to die. Yep, yep. That gets back a little bit to the prosperity gospel thing. Yep, that's... uh, That's bad stuff and, and so harmful. I mean, we've had people in our own church that have, you know, had cancer and have been told by others, you know, that I had a vision or I had a dream or whatever and you're going to be healed and everything's going to be fine. And when you're dying, and especially, not when you're old, like me, but when you're in the midst of life and you're going to leave orphans and widows and everything behind, you really want to believe that you're not going to die. Then it's so easy to buy into that and just have this refusal to, to face what's happening. Not that you know you're going to die in the short term, but that you know you might die. I remember this, is, this is, uh, was a sin that I committed back in the Bill Bales days. Um, Bill Bales was my associate pastor, my best friend, and he, um, here at GPC, this is the late 80s, and uh, my whole future was designed around our relationship and our working together in ministry, in my mind. And then, you know, he st- became interested in Roman Catholicism. He started studying in that, came under the influence of Scott Hahn. And, uh, and I just, I couldn't accept the possibility that he was going to leave. And so I was optimistic through the whole thing, much to my wife's chagrin, even though, um, even though there were no, you know, concrete reasons to be optimistic, and to, I, but I just couldn't face the possibility that this was actually going to happen. So we're easily persuaded to be in denial of the possibility of sad horrific things happening because we just can't face it. 
So that is unholy optimism. How about... Uh, yeah, many ways, but it's still a grief to me. Um, but uh, that's probably a question I haven't asked enough um, about. That's interesting uh, that you bring that up. I will, I'm going to want to unpack that a little bit more in my own prayer times with the Lord. There's another kind of um, uh, unholy optimism, it seems to me, and that's just, and it, it's all related to all the, the same thing, but that's just what they say, looking at life through rose-colored glasses. It's just that um, we are refusing to see the tragic part of life. The fact is, we live in a ugly world. And, you know, um, by the time you're my age, you've seen so much heartbreak and so much ugliness. And it's, you know, you see an old person and they're, they're moving slow and they're maybe bent over. Well, you know, a lot of that's because their body's worn down. But some of that is because of what they've seen. It is, it is discouraging to live life in this world. And it's, there's a, you know, it's like, I don't want to face all that. I just want to live here in this bubble and, and be happy in this. And so the only way to protect myself is to sort of pretend that it doesn't exist out there. And I tell you, in America, we do this big time. We pretend like we're, you know, the, the, our little thing is all there is. We don't even look at the ugliness in America, much less the ugliness in the rest of the world. And, uh, and so that is certainly an unholy op- uh, optimism. God, God calls us to look, be able to look in the face of evil and the face of pain and know that God is bigger than either of those. Or they just refuse to think about it because it's too disturbing, so they just live as though this is all there is and as if this is going to last forever. Which is really so foolish because, you know... Everybody else around you is on this conveyor belt and they're getting old. You can see it. You can see it happening. You can see pictures of when they, what they look like when they were young. You know, you see Miss America when she's 85 and she doesn't look like Miss America anymore. And it's like, this is where we're all going. We're all on this treadmill. And it's like, am I somehow exempt that this isn't going to happen to me? But that's a psychological mechanism to escape from these hard realities that we don't like to face. Somebody else was putting their hand up. Sarah. I was just going to say, like, denial. That was actually the next one I was going to bring up if there wasn't. That's very good. Yeah, we, we have a whole unholy optimism about our own heart. We don't want to think that we, we are, have the capacity to be bad people. I'm a good person. And it's important for me to be able to think of myself as a good person. How can I live if I think of myself as a bad person? But God calls us to take an honest look at our own hearts 
And even ask for God's help to see the bad parts. Search me and try me, O Lord. See what wicked way there is in me. Because he's bigger than that and the cross is bigger than our sin. Any others? That is uh, like people who have their faith in evolution, you know, that we're going to, we're keep, we're, this is true, we're getting better and better. And I put my faith in that. And other people, it's, it's uh, for instance, putting optimism in the country, you know, that uh, I believe in this country. I believe that we're going to pull ourselves out of this. I believe that we're going to, you know, we're going to prove that we can make it, we can rise above it. And, and it's like, okay, so where does that faith come from? It's just the same faith that every coach preaches to his team before the big game, right? We can do it. But guess what? 50% of them are wrong. Right? Every single time. 50% are wrong. No matter how confident they had. And if, you know what? They, they go up at... Sports really gets me sometimes. They take these microphones and they stick them in these players' faces after the game's over. Oh, the coach, how did you do? Oh, we had confidence. You know, it's like, well, so the other team, they didn't have confidence. It's like, well, what is the co- <laughs> We really, we really tried. You know, we didn't, we didn't give up. It's like, well, that's what, both neither, nobody gave up. <laughs> you still lose sometimes when you don't give up. Anyway. Um, yeah, so all these kind of ways that we are confident that are just in things that there's no reason to be confident in. In fact, you know, if you see things from God's perspective, you know that the, the, if, if anything, we're not getting better and better, we're getting worse and worse. And I don't mean human nature is getting worse and worse, although I think in a sense it will near the end. But, but uh, the fact is that, that uh, God is progressively making it more and more obvious that man can't do this. He can't save himself. He can't, he can't, by his own cleverness, figure out a way out of his problem. Okay, so that's unholy optimism. Now let's talk about pessimism. Um, Now we have, um, I'm going to start this time with unholy pessimism because that's the more obvious. So instead of talking about holy pessimism, we're going to end with that. We're going to talk about unholy pessimism. So what does unholy pessimism look like? Right, yep, it's just it's just temporarily going well. Right. Uh, the other shoe's going to drop and it's going to all fall apart again. Seems to me that unholy optimism is when a God becomes small and problems and pain become big. So that those things begin to drown out God in your view. So that God becomes insignificant. And uh, it's like he... 
I'm so such a bad person that God can't even help me. Yep, so that's unholy pessimism. Um, and it can be towards yourself. It can be towards your circumstances, towards the world. It can be towards others. You and I have all met people who are pessimistic about other people. Overly, unholily. I know that's not a word. Pessimistic towards others. Um, you know, as if, as if no one actually loves. Everyone is actually out to get you. Take advantage of you. They may act like they're nice, but they don't really care. They just are out for themselves. And so their view is so jaded of other people that ultimately they can't love anyone. Because every person that they meet, they expect to be an enemy. And therefore they can never make friends because there's only enemies. People who are pessimistic in an unholy way, they have no ability to worship. Think of Job worshiping after the worst day anybody ever had. And, you know, people of faith, even in the midst of such terrible tragedy, they're able to worship. The person who is pessimistic in an unholy way, he can never worship. There's never a day when he can rise to worship because he's always even if everything is going great and things are you know success is coming in every side he just knows that it's all going to come crashing down and he can't worship well you know whenever the only people in the world who have um, mental health issues are sinners right so every mental health problem is mixed with sin. And I can tell you, if Jesus had a mental health issue, he wouldn't fall into sin. So they are more prone in certain areas, but there's still sin in it. Now, how to ferret it all out? I, I'm not smart enough to do that. And I don't know if there are many people that, that can, but it's clearly... The combination, and uh, I I don't mean to minimize mental health issues at all. They're real, and um, and they you know just take Gail's brother-in-law, Gail Hines' sister was married to a very godly man. He had a a severe brain injury from a bike accident or something. What was it? Yes, yes, it was bike accident. And he turned into a, I mean, I don't want to be disrespectful, but not a nice person at all after that. And, uh, you know, it, the brain affects us. And so that's real. And some people are born, you know, you can have a mutation. You can have a mutation that's passed down for, through generations. We don't know much about it. They're just learning about the brain now. But... Those things are real, but that doesn't mean that uh, they don't have anything to do with sin. It's it's a comp- it, they that whatever the issues we all have are combined with our sin, and they ca- wreak havoc and cause all sorts of problems. Okay, now it's time for us to go to the last one. I should I should have uh, 
let me just add one quick thing about that. I think one of the ways that Presbyterians commonly have pessim- unholy pessimism is with regard to evangelism. That's when we forget that God is bigger than the resistance of a sinner. And it's easy for us to just assume, basically, that this person is hopeless. If he's a non-believer, it's a brick wall, and running into it, you know, evangelizing it, is like running into a brick wall. The fact is, though, that our God is bigger than the brick walls of men's hearts. And so we ought to be optimistic in the way that we approach evangelism. Okay, but now let's move to holy pessimism. Um, Holy pessimism. What does holy pessimism look like? I can see what you're getting up there. Let me give you uh, an example of a verse, in the, the Bible verse that is very pessimistic. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Now that is a pessimistic verse. But it's a holy pessimistic verse. So what does holy pessimism look like? Yep. You think about when you head out into your day. It's pessimism. It's holy pessimism that drives you to start your day on your knees. Because you have no idea what's going to happen that day. And you know that it may be the hardest day of your life. You just don't know. And obviously, it's good. That doesn't take away from that. But... Just because it's good doesn't mean it's not hard. How how can we be wholly pessimistic in a holy way towards our own hearts? Yeah, I mean, apart from me, you can do nothing. We have no reason for being optimistic about our own hearts apart from God's help, apart from the power of the Spirit, you know, upholding us and moving us. We have no reason for being optimistic. If, I, if God leaves me to myself, all I'm going to do is sin. That's a holy pessimism. Yes, sir. Yes, exactly. Humility is holy pessimism in some ways. How about, I mean, the whole point of Ecclesiastes 3 1 that, or 1 2 that says, Vanity of vanities. The whole point, it seems to me, is that this world offers me nothing. It's all emptiness. Only God can really help me and satisfy me. This world cannot give me what I need. I keep looking. That's how he starts the book. I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. And they all came up empty. You can't really have a happy marriage until you give up that dream that your marriage is going to make you happy. It's a very ironic thing. Now, you know, the last thing you want to do is 
is not be thankful for what God has given you. Whatever happiness you give, just recognize it comes from Him. It's not because of the two of you or the dynamics. Or it's, it's, if, if you have great chemistry together, that's because God gave it to you. It's not because you're you. Right? Let me read you a few more verses. Man is like a mere breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Psalm 144.4 And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.19 For if in this life only we have hoped in Christ we are of all men most to be pitied. You know, if the fact is, you know, some people have said, okay, even if Christ isn't true, you live the way he taught and you're living a better life. And Paul, that's not what Paul says. All he says, man, if Christ isn't true, this is all a complete waste. You should, you worldlings over there who are eating, drinking, and being merry, you should feel sorry for us. Christians, if Christ isn't true. But he is true. Okay. Well, we're past our time. And uh, thank you for a good discussion. And uh, hopefully this will uh, help us all as we move into our future, whatever that means. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time sharing and talking together. Please be with us as we allow these things to uh, percolate and, um, and our future orientation be influenced by them, we pray that we would not quickly forget. We pray now that you'd prepare our hearts to come into your presence with singing and joy, with gratitude and with humility. We pray in Jesus' name.